Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this Pink Moon episode, I'll be discussing healing. I'll be sharing an erotic story called My First Yoga Teacher. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for healing. But first, let's talk about my own journey with healing, how we can learn from pain, and why I would never live with a partner again. I've started an amazing group in Barcelona called Barcelona Conscious Connections. I've wanted to do this for a very long time. It's been something that's maybe on my list to do, but I never really got round to it. The idea of the group is to have networking events. And instead of asking people, where are you from? What do you do? How long have you been in Barcelona for? Those questions are forbidden. And there are other questions instead, the kind of questions that can kind of provoke or establish a friendship or not, a deeper connection and especially a deeper type of conversation. Because many times if you go to, let's say, speed networking events or speed friending events or even speed dating, you find yourself having that same conversation over and over again. And it's really, it's very, very monotonous. Sometimes it can be quite difficult to establish a, a stimulating conversation with a stranger. This has happened to me a few times in my life when asking a different question has has really surprised me and I've got to know someone on a different level. For example, I remember I remember a few years ago I used to go to these freelancer events for people who were working from home and I met a couple of guys in them and um as we are quite judgmental beings, well I think we all are, but if we even if we don't want to admit it sometimes. But I remember meeting these two guys and I didn't really think anything of them. I knew where they were from, what they did and how long they'd been in Barcelona, but I didn't really think of them as interesting people. I kind of dismissed them completely. But then I actually went to one of these events where we weren't allowed to ask those questions. And instead we had these, had these pieces, of pieces of paper that said what you're looking for and what you can offer. And we had to kind of like go around and mingle and try and find matches. And those offerings and searches were kind of related to social life, hobbies, and work. And I ended up kind of connecting with a guy who I didn't know was actually a personal trainer on the side. He was, um, he was doing something related to IT in, in his like day to day paying the bills job, but he had this passion for nutrition and sport that he was trying to kind of develop on the side. I never knew that. And I really connected with him because I'm also very passionate about health and, and nutrition, etc. And we ended up having this really much deeper connection and, and we ended up, um, he ended up taking me to his gym 
gym and we did sessions together. It was absolutely fantastic. And from that came a big friendship just from asking different questions or getting to know someone on a different level. Another friend um, I connected with, we were in this um, speed friending event and we weren't allowed to ask those questions of where you're from, blah, blah, blah. And already met this guy a few times. And I just kind of like thought, oh, he's kind of just some kind of really nice guy, but not really kind of someone I could imagine hanging out with. And one of the questions was, who's your role model? And it was a very kind of basic question, but we ended up sharing our love love for um, a very kind of, let's say, controversial journalist who I'm not going to even going to mention because it's not something you admit in open or definitely not on a podcast. But we had this kind of um, guilty pleasure for a certain writer and it's um, it really kind of helped us to connect. And from that also a, a great friendship blossomed. So over the years, I've had this idea of maybe creating a list of questions to, to actually host events like this myself. And I also became familiar with something called the 36 questions that lead to love, which is very interesting. And I would highly recommend these questions for established couples or people who are dating, even if for friends as well, it's quite interesting. So in a few events that I've been in, I've just um, looked the, up these questions on my phone and then, um, and then asked these questions just to try and kind of break the ice and get to know people on a different level and in some dates as well. And you think, oh my God, we're definitely not compatible. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of fun. So anyway, I actually um, created my own Conscious Connections event with, I. we had our first event last Sunday and I created a list of 100 questions and I cut them up into kind of smaller lists with 10 questions each. And I just kind of like scattered these papers um, on the tables because we were about 30 people having lunch in a vegan restaurant. And um, it was absolutely fantastic. And people really enjoyed it. They really enjoyed the kind of deeper conversations that can just be, that can just come from one of the questions. I mean, it'll take you a long time to get through all 100. But anyway, number 68 on my list is what's the top of your anti-bucket list, i.e. things you'll never do again. And for me, um, I had to think about it and think, what is something I've done and I would never do again? And I had to be very honest. And one of the things that I would hesitate before doing again, or maybe not do again, is living with your sentimental partner. I know that many, many couples, that's the kind of what the way things go in a relationship. You start dating and then suddenly you're living together. You might get married, you might have kids, you might get a mortgage and all of those things. But for me, I've lived with um, partners twice in my life and both both times have been quite traumatic in the sense that it's not some an experience that I really wanted to repeat at any moment. And I really do love having my own space. I love sleeping alone. I, I love having my own bedroom, my own home and um, closing that door and just being alone and doing whatever I want. And I was, when I was um, a teenager, I have kind of like some traumatic memories of you know, living, almost kind of living with my parents and having this control of like, where are you, who are you with, when you, when will you be back? And um, that was already quite difficult for me to deal with as a, as a rebellious teenager. But um, when it's your partner, ask, um, <laughs> I think it's way worse. I mean, in both cases, I had, um, I was these both, it was kind of maybe a coincidence, but both of these partners that I did live with on different occasions, I must point out, um, they were kind of on the jealous side. So that really made me feel controlled or that I couldn't, let's say, go for a drink after work. I'd have to really kind of like justify my time and where I was and how long things were taking me, which was really, really annoying. 
And the worst situation had to be having arguments and then trying to uh, deal with the tension afterwards and not being able to sleep because there was nowhere to escape. I mean, the first guy I lived with, we were, it was a temporary, um, situation. It was only for, um, a few months over a summer in Paris in a box apartment, actually a shoebox apartment, which was, um, 18 square meters. And when it was good, it was explosive. I used to come home from work. He'd be there. He would made, he would have made my dinner. His head was like popping out of the window, looking for me down the street. And there's no mobiles back then. So we're like, yes, it was just like so good. It was amazing. And then we'd have these incredible dinners and then have sex. And then next morning, go to work and then um, be phoning him at midday and uh, planning our dinner for that night. He was kind of like my house husband. He used to hand wash my clothes, which is kind of cool. And, and then, um, he went back to the UK in the end because he had a job to start, but it was a very beautiful time. But I remember a couple of times we actually, um, had arguments and it was just like, where do you go when you're living in an 18 square meter apartment? There was no other room. It was just one room. There was the bathroom and you can't just lock yourself in the bathroom while you, while you kind of calm down and trying to sleep afterwards was like, oh my God, oh my God. It was so claustrophobic. And then the next um, person I lived with actually had my own bedroom in his apartment, which is so cool, actually. Um, and every, when people came to visit us, they thought that's the that's the best way to live with someone, you know, having your own space, but still sharing a space. And it was great while it lasted. Sometimes we used to um, we used to have a lot of fun when we stayed in and just kind of like got drunk sometimes and danced because he was actually my dance partner. That's how we met each other. But sometimes when the, the arguments were kind of like quite bad, I remember just feeling really, I just hated it because he, we had very different, different ways of dealing with anger. And for him, um, I wanted, I was kind of like shouting and wanting to kind of like get things resolved as soon as possible. Whereas he would just kind of like, go out and slam the door and he would go out all night long. And I just could not sleep just thinking, where is he? What's he doing? Who is he with? And I just felt like it was really abusive, that type of, um, you know, going out with his friends all night and then coming back in the morning. And also he had like some friends who lived in the same apartment building so that he would just go to their place and just carry on drinking or whatever and come home at seven in the morning. And I'm just thinking, what have you been doing? <laughs> I don't know. I just felt it was, uh, it was not cool. And also we didn't agree with things about money. For example, we used to buy our food together and then I would buy it once. Um, he would buy the next time. And, um, and um, if I didn't have money, for example, I don't go out, but he'd be like asking everyone he knew to lend him money so he could carry on with this kind of like extravagant lifestyle every day in the month. And then when he got paid, he had to pay everyone back. And I just thought, wow, I think money um, is very, very important. And and also, you know, just having to, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't do anything like that because I, I just thought what the money was a bit tight. And I think it's unfortunate that some people, most people or most couples do make the decision to live together based on financial limitations. And that's not what it should be about at all. Because once you make a decision like that to be living with someone because of financial limitations, then it's very difficult to undo that relationship when things are going wrong. And then you've created this 
financial dependence, which is so, so dangerous. I mean, I've read in a statistic in England, um, 59% of married women would get divorced if they could afford it. So I just think, um, you know, you should be, should be very wary about that and try and have your own money and, uh, if you can afford different apartments. But some people do want to, you know, wake up spooning and they want to smell their partner's farts, which is fine if, if that's what you want to do. And also if you, if you're bringing up, if you're having children in a relationship, then it obviously makes sense to live together. Um, but for me, I, I'm not really, I don't think motherhood is on my horizon. If it was, it would have to be a massive surprise and um, the universe would have to be kind of like quite, um, I don't know how, how would I say, it would have to be something that would be a miracle because it's not something that I, I can imagine myself trying to make happen. Um, so in that case, I don't really feel that I'm going to be wanting to live with someone at any point in my life. I just love the, I love the idea of LAT relationships, which, which is living apart together. And, and that's what I like. And I think it kind of like the passion, it keeps the passion alive for longer. Cause when I look at my friends who are all living with their partners and their husbands and stuff, I mean, passion left the building a long time ago. And what's left is a different kind of love. It's, um, it's still a love, but it's not, it's not fireworks. It's kind of like, you know, someone to be there when you're sick or someone to share your expenses with. But I, I for me, I'm a kind of like firework person. <laughs> I think I do like passion. I'm a bit of a passion junkie. And hence the reason why I haven't taken that route of being more conventional. I'm not saying that you, you can't have um, fireworks and conventions. I'm sure people do. There are definitely people out there who have mastered that, but I don't, I don't think it was, it was for me. So I would think very carefully about living with someone in the future. And maybe I'll, I'm actually a different person now than I was back then. But for me, um, I still would like to meet my Mars. And um, the most uh, the ideal situation would be someone who is living, let's say, in the same building block. That could be cool. Put in your own apartment or something that lives just down the road. I mean, my last my last relationship actually was with a guy who lived, he literally, literally lived three minutes away from my place, which was amazing because um, we had the luxury of having our own space, but that convenience of being very close if we needed each other. So that was really really, really nice. And that's a situation I wouldn't mind getting myself into again. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm speaking about all of this stuff because um, I do remember living with the last guy that I lived with. With uh, It was quite a painful moment because I was in a job that, um, that I really wanted to leave. I was working for a company that was in administration. So I was working in sales and I was supposed to have a salary plus commissions and they just decided not to pay the commission. So I was working for, you know, a lot less money than, than what I had uh, bargained for. And I feel like I couldn't leave the job because I'd had a lot of, um, a lot of kind of, um, short contracts and I just needed, I just felt like I needed to be in a, in a job for a year because I hadn't actually done that. I had so many changes in my, in my work life. So I felt like I was, you know, everything was kind of against me in terms of, you know, my personal life, my, my professional life. And I was just absolutely, and financially, I, I was, I felt really trapped and and sometimes when you're going through these um, times in life, when you feel that you kind of hit rock bottom, these are the times when you start making decisions and choices that really improve your life. And you start doing something very, very, very cool, or you start to find 
the solution to make you feel better. And as I was going through this terrible time, I, I thought, what can I do to make myself feel better? And I thought, I'm going to try yoga. <laughs> and that's what I did. And, uh, and today's erotic story is what happened when I started doing yoga. But also, um, more about that in a minute, but I do believe that pain is the greatest teacher. It's the greatest guide. And often when we are going through these difficult challenges in life, that's when we really learn a lot. And that's when you can really find our biggest moments of growth. And now it's time for this episode's erotic story, My First Yoga Teacher by Venus O'Hara. I'll never forget my first yoga class. It was during an incredibly stressful time in my life. I was in a relationship that I knew deep down I had to end. In fact, my head had been saying no right from the beginning, but my body had other ideas. This was because I was hooked on the explosive sex life we shared. I was also working for a company that was having financial problems, and I was desperately trying to find another job, but all I received were rejection emails. Needless to say, I felt like my life was seriously out of control. In order to find some respite, one day it occurred to me that yoga might be just what I needed to provide me with the peace of mind that I craved so much. It was a Thursday evening after work when I went to the free trial class at a well-known yoga school in the centre of Barcelona. As soon as I walked through the door, I felt like I'd entered another dimension. This was due to the hypnotic aroma of Nag Champa incense. It was combined with the sound of gentle, Indian flute music playing in the background and soft lighting. It was like a sacred oasis. Yes, this was just what I needed, I said to myself. Can I help you? A voice asked as I was absorbing my surroundings. I turned around and that's when I saw her, Estefania, my first yoga teacher. I was struck by her soft, gentle voice Inquisitive green eyes, natural appearance with no makeup, and long, dark hair tied in a low ponytail. She was dressed like a typical yogini, a tank top and tight leggings that emphasised her slight yet toned body. Despite her obvious physical charms, I was most struck by her aura of tranquility. It was almost therapeutic. I explained that I wanted to do a trial class and I'd never done yoga before. She told me not to worry and she explained some basics about the sun salutation and breathing techniques. Although I was grateful for her detailed explanations, during the class, which comprised 12 students, I'd already forgotten everything. I felt incredibly awkward and self-conscious compared to the more advanced yogis who were already at the hand, headstand, handstand, and splits level. When Estefania noticed my malaise, she would always come to me to correct my poses and attempt to reassure me. The real special treatment occurred during the meditation part of the class, right at the end. We were all lying down on our mats, face up. She dimmed the light and there was only candlelight. Imagine a lake she began, before she led, on, led us on a meditative journey through nature. 
Her voice was perfect, the kind you might hear on a self-help tape. We were all oblivious to the sound of traffic outside, and when she got to the end of her tale, she allowed us to have five minutes in silence. I lay in the darkness, absorbing this new experience, still imagining the lake from the guided meditation. Even though I was in a room full of strangers, it seemed like we were all sharing an intimate experience. My mind was wandering far away, and all of a sudden, to my surprise, I noticed Estefania's hands cradling my head. I tensed with surprise. Shh, she whispered softly in my ear, before proceeding to give me a gentle neck and head massage. I felt so grateful, as it seemed like the thing I most desired. She must have read my mind. She must be able to see how stressed I was, I thought to myself. After a few moments, the caresses ceased and the class was over. I said goodbye and I felt as though I was floating as I made my way home. I knew I'd be back for more and that's precisely what I did every single Thursday. Over the following weeks, my strength and flexibility improved enormously. Despite my progress, I still continued to receive special treatment from Estefania. I thought I was getting special treatment because I was new and inexperienced. She always corrected my poses, and I couldn't help but notice when other students started, Estefania didn't take them under her wing as she had done with me. Our most intimate exchanges occurred during the meditation part at the end. I would lie in the darkness, full of excitement and anticipation for her to come to me, as she always would. Her soothing touch provoked all sorts of unexpected sensations within my body. Although she aimed to relax me, it also caused certain tensions beneath my skin. I'd always been bi-curious, but I'd never met a woman that inspired me to turn my fantasies into reality. But Estefania was provoking all sorts of new ideas in my head. I felt special. It was like I was her chosen one. This was our little secret, and I loved it. I confess that our connection motivated me more than the yoga itself. Barely any words were spoken between us. It was purely an exchange of energy and desire. And despite this, we could hardly look at each other in the eyes, let alone have a conversation. I didn't need to know about her life. All I knew was that I was reacting to her in a way that was unfamiliar to me. After the classes, I would go home and continue the exploration of myself where her hands had left off. I explored my naked body with soft, delicate caresses imagining that they were hers. I couldn't help but wonder what it would be like to hug a naked woman and to feel her soft skin against mine, and especially to discover what it would be like to rub my naked breasts against hers. My clitoris throbbed uncontrollably just at the thought of it. My only relief at the time was to have some wild sex with my boyfriend. Even though the sex we had was physically very unlike what I was imagining. It was all that was on offer, and I intended to make good use of it. I even explained to him about my sapphic fantasies with Estefania, and it turned him on too. 
When my desire was at an all-time high, I went to yoga class. To my horror, there was another teacher giving it. I thought it might be a one-off. No explanation about Estefania's whereabouts was given, and I didn't ask either. I hoped she'd be back the following week, but she wasn't. In fact, I never saw her again. Although the other teacher was perfectly nice and professional, somehow I didn't feel inspired to continue with my yoga practice at that time. Despite this, in my mind, I have revisited that yoga class time and time again. I'm always the only student as I receive a very special private yoga class with Stefania. I stimulate myself as I remember her and how she made me feel. In my mind, our classes reach an orgasmic conclusion over and over again. Soon after I quit yoga, I achieved my objectives of inner peace. I left my boyfriend and I found a new job. It took me several years to resume my yoga practice. And although I love it, these days my motives are more to do with the well-documented benefits it offers rather than the fulfillment of my erotic fantasies. Well, never say never. I think about Estefania from time to time and I ask myself, what if? One can only wonder what might have been. The book I'm reading now is You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. I actually read this before about two years ago now during the pandemic. I'd heard amazing things about it and I wanted to read it because it's a big bestseller. It's a classic in the self-help world. And also I'm, I'm a massive fan of Louise Hay's work and I especially love her work with affirmations. As you know, on this on this podcast, there are affirmations at the end of each episode. And I really believe affirmations are powerful. I like them because um, they are, they kind of influence your subconscious mind and you can be doing something else as you listen to them. You don't have to be actually actively listen to, listening to them. You could be sleeping. You can have them in, in the background. And it's a really wonderful way to communicate with yourself subconscious and try and boost your self-esteem and self-belief and, and try and think about or accomplishing all those things that you really want to in life. And I love, um, Louise Hay's affirmations. They're very thorough. You can find many of her videos on YouTube with affirmations related to any area of life. It could be health, it could be success, money, anything at all. And they're very long um, videos or tracks and you can have them on for, you know, while you're cleaning your house or while you're doing whatever it is you do or working even. So it's really, really powerful. And also in this book, I'm also a really big fan of Louise Hay because of her life story as well. And the fact that she um, I think she established her publishing house, Hay's House, Hay, ha- Hay House, is that right? Uh, when she, oh. yeah, Hay House, when she was in her 50s or something. So I think she died in 2017 and um, she was already at an advanced age then and she worked until very late in life. And she's a really a great example of of a businesswoman as well, who really kind of like found her path and, and helped so many people. And yeah, as, as an entrepreneurial guru and, um, and also just as a, an example of healing. And I really love this, this idea of you can heal your life. And this book is very, very complete. 
it covers all areas of life, for example, your health, relationships, work, success, prosperity. And something that it's very well known for is something called the list. So Louise Hay says that all um, dis-ease or kind of like um, manifestations of illness in the body as a re- is a result of emotional causes. And there is a list here at the back of the book, which which lists, for example, um, an ailment or a, a disease or, or something like that. And then it has the emotional cause. And then in the third column, there are some affirmations to help you overcome that emotional cause. And yes, it's something that you can refer to whenever you have anything happening in your life. And yes, you have to kind of believe that, I suppose. And lots of skeptics might not be into that idea of the list, but I really do believe that illness happens when you're supposed to kind of stop um, and then kind of like just have have an introspective time. And that's what it's been like for me anyway, when I've been sick. It's something that really had to happen on an emotional level. I've had a couple of instances over the last few years. I had Bell's palsy two years ago and um, COVID pneumonia last year in hospital. So I really do believe that there were some profound emotional causes behind both incidents. And also anytime when you're feeling a bit run down or whatever, I do believe there is an emotional cause personally. Obviously, you do have to um, look after your physical self as well. And also in the beginning of each chapter, there is a kind of passage, which is kind of like, how would you call it? Like a little prayer that I I would, um, yeah, something like that. And I'm going to read one to you now. And the reason why I actually picked this book up um, now after two years after reading it is because I have started a TikTok account. If you want to follow me there, it's at Venus O'Hara. And on there, I'm actually um, taking many of my books, which are self-help classics, and I'm reading um, a quote for about up to one minute of an inspiring passage from some of the books that I love. Because I'm actually, um, I've actually signed up to be a voiceover artist, which is a new professional endeavor for me. And many people have been complimenting me on my voice, and hence the reason why I started a podcast. And and now I have joined um, a voiceover agency to actually do some voiceover. So I've been practicing reading some extracts from some of my favorite books. And I, I tell you, I'm so glad I've been doing that. I've been doing it on, on TikTok. It's really prepared me well for the casting I did yesterday. And the casting was so interesting because I think many different voices have different applications. And mine is kind of like meditation, zen, relax, that kind of thing whereas other voices might serve different purposes. And anyway, I'm going to read a little passage to you now, but one little sidetrack about the voiceover thing I did yesterday. I had to do some sample dubbings. Oh my God, I have massive respect now for people who do that. There's a lot lot going on. You have to like listen to something and watch something in a different language and then make sure you're saying everything at the same time. So you have to like check time references on a script in front of you and on the screen. It's a lot of stimuli, I tell you. And I'm not a fan of dubbing personally. I prefer subtitles, but and I have a newfound respect for the art of dubbing. But anyway, here is something I would like to read to you from You Can Heal Your Life from Louise Hay. In the infinity of life where I am, all is perfect, whole and complete. And yet life is ever-changing. There is no beginning and no end, only a constant cycling and recycling of substance and experiences. Life is never stuck or static or stale, for each moment is ever new and fresh. I am one with the very power that created me, 
and this power has given me the power to create my own circumstances. I rejoice in the knowledge that I have the power of my own mind to use in any way I choose. Every moment of life is a new beginning point as we move from the old. This moment is a new point of of beginning for me, right here, right now. All is well in my world. And that is You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy.
find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.